what we have to recognize is that anybody who does something really worthwhile is going to stumble. Ginger, thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. I'm, I've known you for 14 years, and I knew I could depend on you being here. Oh, thank you, Lance. It's really a pleasure. I'm, I am tickled to be asked. So I usually start off by asking the people on the podcast, where were you born? Arizona. Arizona? Yes. All I right. am a Western girl, yes. Did you grow up there? Did you? I did. There? My whole young life, the younger part of my life, was in Arizona. Okay. Do you have siblings? I have a brother and a sister, older brother, four years older, and, uh, excuse me, two yes, years two older, younger sister, two uh, four years younger. Right. And you told me earlier that you're very close with both. Yes, yeah. yes. But you grew up, of course you knew your older brother longer. You knew him four years awesome. more than you knew your younger <laughs> I sister. Did, so I did. You guys did have a little relationship going on before she came along. That's like like most camp families with three kids, right? Everybody. The first two, we already right. had a little bit of a relationship, and then suddenly there was this inter intruder right. getting our mom's attention, right? Right, right? Luckily, she doesn't know what happened to her when she was really young. That's right. right. <laughs> Unfortunately, she has a good memory. She so I had a lot to make up for later. I mean, uh, <laughs> so tell me, so in school, were you more academic or were you more physical? I was absolutely no question about it, more academic. I really was a, a pleaser of, of, of adults. I wanted to, all my teachers to love me. I wanted to get the best grades. I wanted to earn my mom's approval. So definitely academics, that was where I excelled. <clears throat> Underneath that though was a big lack of confidence. And what do you think caused that? I mean, when did you realize that you had a lack of confidence? Or did you always think that when you were trying to achieve? I think at some level I was on some, on, on a, as much of a child can be aware of something like that. I think I was always aware. I didn't feel, as a girl, I didn't feel attractive. I didn't feel that I would be that good in sports. I didn't always give myself a chance. It was later in life that I became became more of a happy user of my body and challenging myself to do physical How much things. later was that? Let me see much later. Well, in college, before I really, really began to get out there and enjoy mildly com competitive sports, I actually mildly, I, for in later years, even after college, I picked up racquetball and I was an avid racquetball player and pretty damn good, actually. But, but tell me this, but in elementary school, because I'm from the West Coast as well, you're close, as no, you're close enough. <laughs> <laughs> During school time, they made you get involved. You had to do team sports. I mean, you had soccer, you had kickball, you had soccerball, you had... Yeah, well, you, you big, tall, athletic guy, some of us were always the last to be chosen to be on the teams and stuff. Right. Didn't make us feel very good about ourselves. But guess what? See, that's something that you're assuming, <laughs> because guess what? My father put me in school when I was four years old, and wow. he shouldn't have, so I was a year younger than everyone. Yeah. So I was picked after the kid that had a physical deformity. You were picked after me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the guy with one leg. Oh. Then I'm picked after him. Oh. I never, I could not, I'd have dreams about why I couldn't hit the ball as far as everyone else or kick it as far. And why could they all grab me by one arm and swing me around so easily? Yeah. I loved Popeye. And I ate as much spinach as I could get my hand on. 
Well, it's it's <laughs> it, for for people for anyone who may be tuning in and listening to us. For people who have been have had the good fortune to be physically to have physical prowess at a young age, I think that not only develops the, the physical coordination and the motor skills, all of those things, but the psychology to to feel self-confident, to feel sometimes in control of things, and also to be more resilient when things don't go well. In some cases, yeah. but this, it's interesting because I'm, I'm finding through my studying, which is going to be continual, that this world, and a lot of people won't say it, is cruel and is very hard to live in this world because you don't learn unless you have adversity. That's when you learn. For example, when I was teaching my sons how to ride a bike, Yes, when I pushed them off, they thought it was all fine. And they thought they could ride, but I knew they couldn't yet. You know when they really started riding with purpose? When they fell down or hit the pole. The next time they got up, they, were, they had a little bit more confidence. But if they hadn't gone through that, there's no way in the world. It's when you stand in front of that audience and completely bomb that the next time you come more prepared. If you get up for the next time. But without that, it's never success, 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 success. Even the Wright brothers found that out. Mm. And so did a lot of the guys that <laughs> never recovered from it. Right, right. That's how this world's built. Now, we don't want to focus on it, but we have to understand that it's there. If we don't, we're doing ourselves a big injustice, tying our children's shoes when we should take the time and let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. I showed you. I'll show you again, but you're going to tie your own shoes. I mean, that's just how I see it. Now, I could be wrong. Back to Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. On, on that topic, what, okay. what, we, what we really both agree on there is the importance of being resilient. And you cannot learn resilience if you don't have some and failure. You can, right? That's the only way you can yeah. become resi resilient <laughs> with what? Success? Right. You don't become resilient with success. Right. It's the failure. Someone asked me the other day, he said, um, Lance, you're successful. And I said, eh. You say that as if it's a destination. I think it's a continuum. Yes. Because what's the most important thing to human beings? Do you know, Ginger? What is the most important thing to human beings? Mm -hmm. Air. Thank you. <laughs> three minutes without it, <laughs> listen, three minutes without it, you no longer exist. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, would you say I'm successful when I go like this? <gasps> That's successful, right? Mm -hmm. What do you call this? <sighs> Maybe failure? <gasps> Success again? Because when I finally do this the last time, I don't go like this. The last time I do anything, isn't going to be, <gasps> it's going to be, <sighs> and then I won't exist anymore. So, if that's the case, wouldn't you say success is something that's flowing? It's not a destination. It's constantly happening. But you have to understand that and try to promote that constant of Because <sighs> 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 if you don't, you just get a <gasps> Three minutes of that, you won't exist. <laughs> There's a capacity for <gasps> as well. <laughs> You'll <laughs> explode, right? If you keep on doing that too much, you're boom. But yeah. you see what I'm saying? And people don't want to talk about it or even think about it that way. Well, well, failure sucks. Failure hurts. 
Thank you. Right? It sucks. And <laughs> we just have to recognize that it doesn't mean that we are a failure in life or that we are a failure as a human being. What we have to recognize is that anybody who does something really worthwhile is going to stumble. And sometimes crap happens, sometimes things happen to you that are beyond your control. And that's also, that, that also sucks. The, for, for me, my big learning is to love myself through in, throughout the whole thing, when I'm up and when I'm down, and to not be ashamed that it wasn't just this perfect, steep, uphill Two-hour movie. Trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not to be ashamed, and if we can put our failures and life's tragedies into a perspective and make it, perhaps turn it into stories that are helpful to others, that really makes my heart expand. That, I think, is, a, is an important gift to others. I think that's how we met it. I think you were given a a talk or something in one of our board meetings and that's when I said okay I've got to get to know this woman because you were talking about that and your balance and your way of phrasing different things you you helped me once because I used to say well there's two types of foreigners here you got the poor ones you got the rich ones <laughs> and you said Lance and you were very kind the way you did you said Lance that may be true but you might be better off saying they're survivors and they're thrivers. I said, mm -hmm. you don't have to tell me twice. You <laughs> 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 tell me this. So in school, you were very academically inclined because yes. you wanted to really please your mother. What did your father do? My father was... No, and one more thing, I have to interrupt you just right here. Yeah. Are your mother and father still around? No, my mother no. died when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. She, I hope it's allowed to say it, uh, she took her own life, by, by allowed to say it, I hope it won't be cut. And that was, actually that was devastating for me. And I can say that now because there are many years in between. For How old was she? She was, I think even then, when I was in my 20s, I think she was in her early 60s. And that, but what I, gained from living through the aftermath, the turmoil, the emotional turmoil of something like that. And finally, after years of working on myself, kind of coming up on the other side of that was that, well, I guess it was, it was empathy for others. That it is when you face whatever tragedy it is in your life and you are really, really down Sometimes you can't see the way out. And I think to, to know, to have experienced that, gives you a level of patience and empathy with others who are struggling. And if you can tell your story, particularly to those who have never told theirs, and they, they feel a contact, they feel somebody reaching out, and they see you being happy, that you have gotten through this, There's, there is life not only life, but wonderful life on the other side, that is inspiring mm -hmm. to those who perhaps right at that time need that, in, that inspiration. Your father, how did he feel? My father 
died a few years ago, um, old age. So did he ever remarry? He did, yes. Okay. He did remarry. And that is another story about how children of parents, where one of the parents does um, die or have something tragic happen to them, when then the other parent remarries, the relationship between that parent and the other person is another story of, of how we deal with what life hands us. How do, how do you think your father, did he ever talk to you about what your mother did? And <coughs> or did you, was he blamed? We didn't, we didn't talk much about it because after many, many years, my mother, wh who was Catholic, finally did divorce him. And so... Well, th she was divorced when this happened. Okay. Yeah. And I idolized my mother. I took my mother's side. And it was then hard for my father and, and me to talk about some of those things. How did your brother respond? Did he do the same? My brother was, I believe, more understanding and forgiving of my father than I was. It, later, in ma many years later, I became quite close to my father. But it was like coming close to a different person. There was the young man of my youth, and then there was the old man of my adulthood. How many years had passed before you finally? Wow. More than a decade? Oh, yeah. I was already living in, I, I, I lived for a while in Germany. I was, an, I was definitely an adult. I, I had moved away from the United States, and I had never asked my father for anything. That I thought, I, I cut the emotions to the point where I was courteous, and we could get together on holidays, but I held myself back. This is after your mother passing. This is after she had passed. After she yes. had never yes, yes, yes. What yes. she did, right? And part of my emotional stronghold, I'll say, had been that I will not, I will not reach out to my father in, in a way that gives him any satisfaction. I will not ask him for anything. I will be the dutiful daughter on holidays and occasionally get together, but I will not do more. Mm. And when I finally, when I moved to Germany as as an as a woman, forties forty years old, <laughs> already so very very mature, I finally asked my dad to make a screen like a screen like this for an apartment, a very humble apartment in Germany, and it still touches my heart now that he was like a kid. He was so happy to do that. His first daughter. What do you expect? And I had not uh, in reached Ever out, and this was the first little opening of the door to be able to ask another person that whom, from whom you have held yourself at distance to be able to ask that person of something is, as it turns out, it's a real gift, and that was the opening of that door. What about your sister? How did she respond to your father? Do you know? She was much more accepting of him much earlier than I was. I was the one who viewed myself basically as my mother's daughter. Mm. And I wanted to take her side. But how many years, just out of curiosity, how many years had she been divorced before she decided to do what she did? I don't remember exactly. It wasn't too many. Okay. 
and my my father had been a functioning alcoholic, and when he then got help when he went to AA, from my mother's perspective, he all was forgiven for him, and everything was and, and it was a community of support for him, but life was not very fair to the spouse in those cases, whether it's the wife or the husband, the, the, the sober spouse, spouse gets typically a little bit left in all of this support to the other person and they've paid a tremendous price as well. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. But that's a, that was the time in the era that we grew up in yes. now. And we had less access to information. It took us a week to a couple of weeks to a month to get a letter. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and we waited on pins and needles to get it. Yep, yep. Well, <laughs> don't, don't let it be from somebody you really like. You know, you, right. No, but I mean, really, that was the time. It that was. was the time. I remember was, all yeah. that. And, and people wonder why they have so much information now and what they know, this and that. But they really don't know. That's something else, too. They think they know. And I'm finding out that they're just touching the surface because this, this media, these, what they think are toys, these iPhones, the internet is ours. We know how to use it. We know questions to ask Siri and Alexa. They don't even know the questions to ask. They're looking at TikTok. Their attention's that long. And they'll do that for hours. And it's said, so how many cats have you watched today? No, now it's dogs. Whatever. <laughs> it's interesting. We're teaching them not to learn. Just to look, to listen. Some kids, if they have the right parenting, if they're lucky enough to have good teachers. But the vast majority, I'm sorry, it doesn't seem like they're getting it. <laughs> oh, total different subject here when we're sure to the, it, the, we'll our relationship with, with, with uh, digital media, right? That's, if, if you want to... We could, we yeah, could yeah, do that, but maybe yeah. we shouldn't do that. Let's go back into Ginger, because that's cool. what I want to talk about. <laughs> so so you've, you, you finished high school, you finished college, mm -hmm. Yep. And would you, what degree did you finish with? I had, well, uh, my, I had a Bachelor of Arts in French. Okay. And I'm thinking your first degrees. That was my first, okay. just Bachelor of Arts, BA, right? Why, and then why French? Well, you just picked it I up. I was a weird kid. Did, you, did your mother speak French? No. Your father? No. Your boyfriend? Nobody I knew in Arizona <laughs> spoke French, right? <laughs> Except for the French teacher. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was something, to me, it was beautiful and exotic. And I didn't want to be like everybody else, quite frankly. I didn't want to take Spanish. Now, I mean, later I took Spanish, and I love the Spanish language as well. But at that time, I wanted to be different, and I felt French was, French was beautiful. So I started that in high school as a, as a freshman, and by my senior year, I was the only kid at that level of French was <laughs> still hanging in there studying French. If I brag a little bit about that, when I went to college, then I jumped to very high-level classes in in French, and I have a master's degree in French literature, and I then got a minor also in Spanish and was teaching those two languages. Have you ever later. been to to Passion, the restaurant Passion in Daikanyama? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, that's who I just put up his podcast this morning. Oh, wow. Andre Pachon. Oh, And nice. his son Patrick translated. So I let him do all of his in French and then Beautiful. had his son do it. Instead of putting 
underlined there. She said, why do you? I said, because there are many people that speak French, and I have several French friends. They're going to love listening vrai. to you. C'est vrai parce que c'est une langue très très belle. Il faut le parler de temps en temps, oui. Oh, oh très bien, <laughs> très bien, encore. Bien le français. <laughs> Actually, I also speak German, but I, I do that because when after I met my the love of my life, my, my husband, my current husband, I was another tragic you've been, you've story. Been twice, you've been I've been married twice. I've been married twice. Okay, okay. How long the first time? Nineteen years. Hmm. And that is a result of, of the, primarily I guess I would say my, my mother's Catholic, Irish Catholic upbringing and that when you marry, you marry for life, even if it kills you, <laughs> right? Or it's killing you. Or, or it is killing you, yeah. It, I, it was a very, very long time before I was able to give myself permission to end it and move on, even though it was, it was, very difficult on both my husband and myself, and, and neither of us were happy, but it took a long time to take that step. Mm. So, My goodness. Yeah. So you, have, you yeah. have all this experience, you have all these times falling off a bike that people learn from. That's why I say life is the way it is. Without that, no one would even take what you're saying seriously. Yeah. If you're born to a royal family and you were put in a, 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 a pumpkin that turns into a, a coach, and you're protected all the time, what value would you have for the majority of the people that aren't guarded like that? None. They want to see the nicks, the bruises, be they psychological or be they, you know, you can see them. Although there's something to be said for being the pumpkin king there too, right? It seems um, we don't, but I, when you start I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to riches, but, but I do like who I am because of the depth that having to work your way through life and do your best, I, that, that is, that is, that's there's the, a richness that's the there, that's too. The world we, that's the world we live in. It's the, the guy that made the rock soup, you remember that story? Yeah. He goes into town, he has a big, well, he has a big pot, and he has some hot water, and he has a rock. And he puts in, so this little guy comes by and says, what are you making? He says, I'm making rock soup. He says, well, it might be a little better with a couple of carrots in there. And at the end of the day, he has this massive stew with all this mixture in it, and it's delicious. One rock down at the bottom. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. So that's life. And I think as much as we'd like to think we're in that big coach or carriage that's protected, when you talk to people that have lived that life, and I've had the fortune to talk to some of them, it's not a pretty life. It, they it have can, this, it, every, it can every get... Every life has its own challenges, that's right? Well, that's why I said it's life. Yeah, yeah. It's not what we want to think it is. It's not a two-hour movie. It, it was a, it, that was a learning for me as well to, and a, and a, a caution that I have to sometimes still take with myself, not to look at somebody else who seems very successful and on the surface seems to have it all, good looks and, and health and standing in the community, good education and big network and all those things, and not to automatically assume that, oh, that person got those things handed to him or her, right? We never know where somebody else has come from and what they have dealt with to become who they are today. And that's even, even as an executive coach, I need to sometimes 
catch it. One of the most difficult things about, I'll switch to professional there, about learning to be a coach is to catch your own judgmentalism, to realize when you are passing judgment on some, something or somebody, and stop and open your mind and, and But listen. if you didn't, I'd, I'd argue that if you didn't have that judgment, you wouldn't be able to stop and open your mind. Because people that think they don't have the judgment are some of the most closed-minded. That's true. See what I'm saying? You have to know. If the fact that you're doing that, that you're making a judgment and you realize it, oh, I want you to talk to me. Not the person says, I have never judged anyone. <laughs> I'm the last person ever, never in my whole, you know something, I've never been wrong, except for the one time when I thought I was wrong. Right, right. You know when you talk to people like that? No. <laughs> I don't want that person on my team. Yeah. I want the guy that's had some bruises, had some knocks, and may even fail, may not even come through with what I want him to come through with. But he's aware of it. Yeah. That's who I think you want on the team. Yeah. So Ginger, so you had your first marriage, 19 years, wow. Did you live in the States the whole time? Yes, yes. In Arizona? In Arizona, and... That's why you got divorced, right? You said, look. <laughs> I can't stand you. Brought it, you know, you brought it up. You're opening this door. I am, This is something that I don't talk about much because okay. You don't have very, to now. No, no, no. I actually, okay. I feel like it's time in my life to open up a little bit more about it. My first husband came out of the closet very late in life. And it was... I finally had to to bring it up and say, I, I, think, I think you're gay. And after years of living together, that, that it was something that has also, in my life here in Japan, made a difference to me. The desire to understand the difficulties of people who are Different, right? And and who feel like if they expose that, they won't be accepted. That there that there are big risks in doing that. Because when we were, when we were younger, I was, you I was and gonna, I were younger, I was going to say that's you have to put it in proper. I'm, I'm saying you have to put it in proper context. Right. Because we grew up at a time, the way if you did that, it could be your life. It it it, it can most definitely be your life. Right. So I have a a, a, a tremendous empathy, compassion for people who, whatever it is they feel they cannot bring about themselves out into the open, whatever that is, I have, I feel great compassion because it is, I believe that it does something, it does harm to your self-concept to know that there's something about that, that you cannot be authentic, you cannot be yourself, whatever that thing is. That, mm. That's tough. So the reason I thought it's, it's very relevant here is because just by chance, I, as, as a member, as, as a co-chair of the ACCJ, of the American Chamber of Commerce Human Resource Management Committee, several years ago we were approached by members of the LGBTQ plus community and asked for, for the chamber, the American chamber, to support equal marriage here in Japan. And I had the honor of being the first one to, to write the draft, which, which went through many changes and a lot of people supporting where we were going with that, that, that is 
working with the, the Japanese that is, that is, how should I say, part of the advocacy to the, to the Japanese government to, to legalize same-sex marriage. What year did you put that through? We first, did, we first did it in 2018. Okay. And then we've renewed it each year. And we have now over 150 companies and organizations, including chambers of commerce of different countries, having signed on to it now. And it has been mentioned in legal cases in Japan where these, these, this striving to, to have a more inclusive community where these cases are being heard. And so that, that is something that I feel it was, in a way, a gift to me to be able to help with that. Right. Yeah. So you've come to Japan. Well, okay, so you were married the first 19 years. You realized that he wasn't forthcoming and honest in the relationship. Well, I, I really wouldn't put it that way. And, and I would also not say that I was comfortable with my sexuality. Not that, not that I, I knew my identity, but I didn't feel free. That's another, perhaps, component of our age group where we didn't necessarily learn how to deal with sexuality, how to talk about it, how to express our needs, and how, and how to feel comfortable with our body. For, right? So I, when I say the marriage didn't work, that's a huge component of it because that's such an intimate, intimate part of who we are, but I also didn't bring it up for many years to people because I felt it's too easy to make a snap judgment to say, oh, well, of course, then it would never work. But there are many ways that human beings bond. That's, not, that's for sure. And, and particularly as we get older, we are less sexual anyway less driven by that, that's I should right. say less sexual, the but less The hormones aren't kicking the same way, that's and right. So I felt it, it was a disservice to the complexity of human beings to make it so simple to say, well, of course that wouldn't work. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. So when you, when you did divorce, would, where did you go? Did you leave and go I, to the US? I went back to graduate school and I had mentioned earlier in our conversation, I had a master's degree in French literature, had been teaching. I made a life-changing decision to go into international management. So I went to Thunderbird, American Graduate School of International Management. To do that after the divorce, I didn't have much money, withdrew my state retirement, kind of banking on myself here, like putting that down as my, my tuition and got that degree. And that's where I met my current husband, whom I've, been with for 32 years, married to 27, mm. and just I just am um, I feel so privileged to have the love that I have in my life. I'm I'm such a happily married woman. That's good. <laughs> but I think yeah. you I think you're at a point in your life where you can tell it's mutual. Yeah. That it goes through, and if it isn't, it's a hell of a good imitation. And <laughs> yeah. I'll, ta I'll take we, that. We actually, <laughs> we do. We will show up here and there on Facebook, and people will comment. So you guys look like you really are Why so in you? love with each other, yeah. and it's true. Yeah, uh, yeah we're very. It's, there's a deep friendship and a, and a trust and a mutual support and mutual admiration, mm -hmm. as well as the initial sexual attraction. There you go. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah. You can say hello to him if you like. Just straighten that camera. Hi, right Peter. <laughs> Love you. 
So, when did you leave the U.S.? I left the U.S. upon Dieter's graduation. I was a semester ahead of him in graduate school. He was hired by the Coca-Cola company to go to Germany because the, the Berlin Wall had just come down. And so Coca-Cola was wanting to drive into East Germany very quickly and make that a Coca-Cola market. So I went with Dieter. And Wait, that's where you, you met him in college? I met him in college in the United States. And you guys got married soon after you met? Nope, nope. Okay. I didn't have much money. I had no network in Germany. I had, I was changing professions, but as far as international management, I had a little piece of paper. I can do this. I was already a 41-year-old woman, and I didn't speak German, right? So, but it, it was a, it was a kind of a crisis moment to make a decision. Am I afraid to love again? Because it was a very painful divorce I'd gone through. Am I afraid to love again? And am I going to be okay? What's going to happen to me if this doesn't work? I will add that Dieter is considerably younger than I am. So here I was with a younger man as well. And what's going to happen? So it took all of my courage to go with Germany because I had no job or anything. What was he doing in the U.S. anyway? He, he was, that's where we met in, in, at Thunderbird in Arizona, American Graduate School of International. So, so he National. decided to come from Germany to go to Thunderbird or what? No, he, he, had, he had gone to college in the United States, gone then and lived a couple of years and worked in Hawaii, and then gone back briefly, I think, to visit a little bit in Austria, but then came back to Hawaii, Japan-American, he, he was at the James Japan-American Institute of Management Science, and from there came to Thunderbird. Okay. So he had had quite a bit of exposure to higher education in the United and States. And the U.S., yes. Okay. Yes. Oh. Okay, so you, went, you weren't married, but you guys go together yes. to Germany. With me chewing my, my finger nose and I hope, I, I hope this is going to work out. I have had enough pain. <laughs> um, and I studied German for about five months. I had a tutor twice a week and I studied all the time. And then I was hired by Coca-Cola and I worked. And it was just a baptism of fire into international business. It was chaos and it was a, an amazing historical time. And I worked first with the East German bottler as a, as a financial controller. And I was in, responsible for huge construction projects of by, by these bottlers in East Germany. So it was there that I learned a whole lot more about myself and about people and about stress and about how we deal with ambiguity, not knowing what's going on and what's going to happen next. And I dealt with also having to make business decisions with almost like no information. And from somebody who had been a teacher a little while back to be plopped into that kind of environment to be responsible for multi-millions of dollars. Uh, That's why I mentioned baptism of fire. That's right. And for anybody there out there looking for a, a reason to have confidence in yourself, if you are in a position where you know more about it than anybody else because nobody knows anything, 
that's your treasure. You know more about it. <laughs> Nobody can prove you wrong. Do the best you can, right? Be clear on what your assumptions are and make your decisions and move on, right? <laughs> and that's what you did? That's what I did. How long yeah. did you stay with Coca-Cola? I stayed, I, we, we both worked for Coca-Cola seven years. Right. He was working for the headquarters while I started out working for the East German bottler. And then eventually the staff all that, that had been in West Germany moved, those who were going to stay with that bottler moved to East Germany, East Berlin, right? And then we had a 2,000 large um, uh, staff of, of people working for this bottler. But at that point, then I made the decision to come back and work for West Germany. As I had said to Dieter at the time, is if I wanted to live alone, it would be in Paris, right? <laughs> not, not alone in East Berlin. So then I also st started working for the headquarters there and had a number of really, really interesting, challenging roles in, in Germany and then moved and continued working for the company three years here in Japan for Coca-Cola. Were you guys married yeah. by then? We were both. We got married in Germany, yes. Okay. After we'd been together for five years. Five years, okay. I convinced him he wanted to marry me. Okay. <laughs> Seems to work out. Still, right? still working. Yeah, okay. it's okay. <laughs> and came here, and that that experience, the, the experiences that had all of the experiences that led up to my arriving here in in Japan and working here in Japan, eventually led me to want to serve my real passion, not necessarily to be a manager in in a multinational corporation, but to deal with people to help people, to help them grow, to help them get the best out of themselves, to help them be confident, to help them interact better with each other. The, the stressful things that I had been through showed me that that's what makes or breaks companies. It's not their products, it's not their branding, it's, it's how the people in their organization build up their awareness about themselves and mm -hmm. others and really want to, to work well with each other. And that's how you started doing executive coaching. Yep, yep. So is, it, is this your own company? At, at first I was freelancing and I was working with a couple of well-established organizations and so I would come in under their name and then eventually, yes, I built my own company, ASC Leader, which, which stands, for stands for, yes, Awareness, skill, and courage. I had been asked multiple times what my methodology, what my philosophy was in helping other people. And I have never prescribed to just one school of, well, this is the way you coach, or this is the way you train, or this is the way to make people the best they can be. But the pillars for me are building our self-awareness and our ability to be aware of others. And when, as we do that, we may realize we need to build up our skills to take action on that. If, if we think, sometimes I need to speak up, but it's important how I speak up. The other person needs to be able to pick up my message and process my message. So I need to work on myself in that area to build my skill there. And then, well, you've got awareness, you've got skill, you still need the courage. <laughs> Get out there yeah, and do yeah. it. And how do you build your confidence and your courage? So for me, those are 
the very, very basics, the cornerstones of growing into the person that we want to be. Are you doing this on your own or do you have a staff? Do you have people working with you? I do this, I use freelance staff. I do it myself as well. And recently, Dieter and I have also started a new company called EAW, Excellence at Work. Okay. And that is combining recruiting with development so that you can offer the full package to an organization, support clients, is uh, support candidates and bring the best, create the best match for both, which means not just the skill set, but the corporate culture, the ability to grow in that organization. So to help the matching process, but then also to help the sustainability, to help not only that individual who's coming on board, help that person grow, but help others in that organization also continue to grow. So we'd, we'd like to approach the business from what we think is kind of a new perspective to have long-term relationships with both the candidates and the clients and be there for them and not grow by the churn by just recruiting somebody and if it doesn't work out, then you get to recruit somebody else, right? You get making your money based basically on failure. Right? We want to do it instead on the long-term relationship and success of the organization. Have you, so you've been doing, how long have you had both companies? We, have, we started EAW about a year and a half ago. Okay, yeah. and the one S? And EAW is the most recent one. Right, yes, yes. And ASC Leader, ASC Leader, I have had for probably now it must be about 10 years. Okay. And do you deal with individuals or do you deal with corporations or is it a group or do you, how do you go about Well, I deal, most of my clients, uh, for ASC Leader, most of my clients have historically been the large companies because they're the ones that can afford to bring somebody in from outside. And, and, I, and I also found that there's as much frustration and pain and need for growth inside corporations. Just having a job doesn't make you happy and it doesn't make you effective. Right? So there, there's as much need there as there would be in smaller organizations or individuals that come to me. Sometimes I work with individuals um, and I may also work with a, an, organi an educational organization where I know that I'm not going to earn as much, but I feel committed to helping. And, and so it kind of, that kind of balances out. Mm -hmm. But for the recruiting business, that's always for organizations, whether they're small, and sometimes they are very entrepreneurial small organizations all the way up onto, onto the big ones. So how long have you been in Japan now, total? 25 years. So how much longer do you see yourself being here? It took me a long time, actually, to be honest. It took me a long time to feel part of this society. And I think it was nothing wrong. That was not because of the society. It was because of something inside me that held me a little bit back. 
And finally, I, I came to the realization is this is our life. We, we love it. We love living here. We love the people here. We love working here. After 25 years, and you both are coming from different countries anyway, where would you call home? Right? Earth. Yeah, Earth. <laughs> well, it's, it's made, we, we are more at home here than we would be anywhere else. And so finally, we, after all these years, about a year and a half ago, we bought a house and we're here. Right? <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Ginger, before I end the podcast, I always end with a question. With all the knowledge you have now, if you were to go back into time and to talk to 20-year-old Ginger, what advice would you give her? The simple answer, and it's almost trite because it's, it, it's, it's simple, is love yourself. Love yourself, trust yourself, and trust in the future. Those three messages. Because there is so much pain that we bring on ourselves. It's inside that we could let go of. And if we recognize it, we have control of. And that that would mainly, you know, there are going to be some, uh, to her to that when you were there are going to be some hard knocks. You're going to get through it. And there's no no value add in being afraid because you only make yourself miserable before you have to be miserable. Why, why not wait? <laughs> Enjoy this day, do what you can to be prepared for the next days, and then live your life and trust that you will get to the other side of the tough times. Oh, Ginger, thank you so much. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. We're going to have to talk some more because I think that I can have you on with a panel. I'm thinking about having three people or more. That would be very Together we sit down and we have the discussion you were talking about having. I think that would be really good, especially with someone like you in there that's had the experience you've had. Thank you, Thank you. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And please remember, it's all on loan. So reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. Mm -hmm.